I'm John Carter in Moscow, in Havana, Cuba. Now in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. I'm John Carter in Petra, right here in communist China, reporting from India. Hi, I'm John Carter in the Solomon Islands. I'm John Carter in Soweto, from El Salvador. I'm John Carter in Sydney, Australia. In this message, John Carter explains why there is hope for the worst of sinners. Just so glad to see you here today. I want to send special greetings to the Sabbath Grace Fellowship Church in Pennsylvania. I want to thank you so much for your partnership in the preaching of the gospel of Christ. We appreciate your support tremendously at this time because we're planning to go to the great city of Manila for a great citywide campaign in the Philippine International Convention Center. This great theater, best part of Manila. We're going to be starting there in March, and we just need your prayers. We need your support. Has anybody here, I don't, I don't know if anybody has, but anybody here said this, God could never, never save me because of all the wicked things I've done. God could never, ever save so-and-so because of all the wicked things he does. Now, the topic today is hope, not just for the worst, but for the very worst of sinners. And today we're going to talk about the most wicked man in the Bible. Or let's say, let's make it a little broader, the most wicked man or woman in the Bible. Now, there are a number of of candidates. Would you say, just off the top of your head, that Judas is the most wicked man in the Bible? Now, Judas did something incredibly evil. He betrayed the Lord of glory. I don't think he was the most wicked man in the Bible. I think Judas was sort of just a very ordinary person. But as somebody has pointed out, the greatest crimes in history have been committed by very ordinary persons. Most of the Nazis and the Germans that sent the Jews to the Holocaust were our neighbors. People who went to church, Roman Catholics, Baptists, Lutherans, other denominations, very ordinary sort of people. I think Judas, who did a terrible crime, was an ordinary man. What about Eve? <laughs> was she the most wicked person in the Bible? I don't think Eve in herself was a very wicked person at all. I think she was innocent abroad. And her big sin was to believe the devil's lies. She caused havoc, of course, but I don't think she was the most wicked person in the Bible. I don't think Adam was the most wicked person in the Bible. Adam, as you know, was very, very inexperienced. Until Eve had sinned, there was no such thing as sin in the garden. But Adam committed a tremendous sin and brought havoc upon the human race, and we're in the midst of this today. But I don't think Adam... I don't think he was the most wicked person in the Bible. I'll tell you who was a wicked person, who's mentioned in the Bible. He's a Caesar, 
and that's Nero. Nero, who lived in the days of the Apostle Paul, he murdered his own mother because he saw her as a threat. (laughs) He started the fire of Rome. But when you think about it, you can't expect too much of Nero. He was a depraved and deluded pagan. He didn't make any profession of God or Christianity. The ancient history encyclopedia says this about Nero. He reigned from 54 to 68 AD. Then it says he was self-indulgent. He was cruel and violent as well as a cross-dressing exhibitionist. He had his mother stabbed to death. He saw her as a threat. He had his first wife murdered and he kicked his second wife to death. Uh, He was indeed a very wicked, wicked man. He started the great fire of Rome in 64 AD that lasted for six days. And the Christians were blamed for the fire, especially the Apostle Paul. When the crowd came after him, He tried to commit suicide, but he was such a pathetic character that he couldn't stick the knife in himself. He had to have assistance to kill himself. A pathetic, evil, wicked man was the Nero of the New Testament. But I think the most wicked man in the Bible is the man who was mentioned in 1 Kings Uh, chapter 21, and I want you to take your Bibles, 1 Kings, chapter 21 and verse 25 and 26 in the Bible. Look at the text, 1 Kings, verse 25 and 26. But there was no one like Ahab, no one like Ahab, who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. (laughs) Notice why. Because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. I guess he wasn't the first or the last. And he behaved very abominably in following idols, according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So he was a very, very bad man. You know the story of of the good man, the righteous man who had the vineyard, don't you? His name was Naboth. You can read that in 1 Kings chapter 21. Ahab went to Naboth and said, I want your vineyard. He said, I'll give you a better one or else I'll pay you a good price. And Naboth said, I can't do it because this is a part of my sacred inheritance. I'll tell you what a, a wretched person Ahab was. He went home and the Bible says he turned his face to the wall and he sulked. Boo-hoo, he's crying away. And his wife Jezebel comes in and says, What's wrong, sweetie pie? (laughs) What's wrong, darling? What's the problem? He says, Naboth won't give me the vineyard. She says, leave it to me. She said, I'll get you the vineyard. And she did. 
She had a plot. Naboth was accused of high crimes and blasphemies and rebellion and they set him on high and they found him guilty and he was murdered. And then Jezebel goes and sees Ahab and she says, I told you so, go get it. I think if there is a despicable character, it is a man who is manipulated by his wife and who sobs to get something. Generally speaking, men should not be sobbers. It's appropriate on occasions for a man to weep for a very good reason. Jesus wept. But a man who is weeping all the time, especially to manipulate people, is a very, very bad man. Not only bad, but a very, very weak man. Have you met some of them? I have. This man, Ahab, with the help of his sweet little wife Jezebel, set up the worship of Baal and carried out the persecution of the prophets of Yahweh Elohim. You can read this in 1 Kings chapter 16. Now come back to 1 Kings chapter 16 and verses 30 down to 33. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all those who were before him. So this is a a bad man because the people who preceded him were bad too. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And so at least up to that time, he is the worst man in the Bible. Let's talk a little bit, shall we, about Baal. Who was Baal? The word means Lord. He was the god of the Canaanites. He had a consort whose name was Asherah, who was the great prostitute. And during the times of Ahab, and he was the leader of the people of God, for crying out loud. He's the leader of the church. And so he leads all Israel in the prostitution of their own souls and in the worship of Baal and Asherah. During the times of Ahab, Baal worship became the national religion of Israel. He built a temple to Baal in Samaria. The word Baal, as I mentioned, means Lord. And he was God of the storms, God of the rain, God of fertility, and God of justice. They had holy prostitutes, both male and female. And the Bible says they made their sons to pass through the fire. Can you think of anything worse? 
than a blazing fire in the belly of the beast Baal and their sons, their children are sacrificed. Think of the cries of the children. And he is the leader of the people of God. He was the leader of the nation and the leader of the church. Of course, we are far too sophisticated today to have Baal worship. And the Bible tells us that he had a meeting with the prophet Elijah, the man of God. First Kings chapter 18 and verse 17 and 18. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? The good people invariably are blamed for the problems that come upon the church and the nation. Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. So the people have completely given up on God and the worship of God and the keeping of the commandments of God and they are worshipping the gods of the Canaanites led by their king. How many false prophets? Verse 19 gives us a clue. Verse 19 says, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, which eat at Jezebel's table. Look at me. Let me tell you something. Truth has never, never been in the majority. Truth is usually a lone voice crying in the wilderness. That was the voice of Elijah. That was the voice of John the Baptist. He was a man standing for God and there were hundreds and hundreds of false priests and false prophets. And uh, the delightful couple who led them all was Ahab and Jezebel. Asherah, who is she? She's the goddess of the Canaanites. I have seen the statues going through the Middle East, places like the Hyde Place in Petra, where you see the symbols of Asherah, which are tied up, of course, with licentiousness and the debasing of the soul and the debasing of the body. And the person who was fighting the prophets of God, fighting Elijah and fighting the truth of God and leading Israel down to the very fires of hell. His name is Ahab. But there's an amazing story. And if I had written the Bible, which fortunately I didn't, but in 1 Kings chapter 21 and verses 25 and 29, you have this amazing story about Ahab. I say it's amazing because it goes against our sense of justice because bad people need to be punished. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. <laughs> She's just stirring him on. But she had a reason. She was a pagan princess. He was a, 
a child of God. And he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it was. When I have heard these words that he, the words of the prophet, when I have heard these words, those words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. Sackcloth is a symbol of repentance. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, see how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. I will not going to do anything to him. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. But he said, you see, Ahab, Ahab has repented. Therefore, what I said I was going to do to Ahab, I'm not going to do. Which leads me to the conclusion that Ahab had found mercy in the sight of God and that God had saved and forgiven Ahab. So my argument is this today, and it's to everybody watching the telecast around the world and across these great United States. If you think God can't save you, I want you to think again. Because if God could save a scoundrel and a, a, a rotter and a profligate sinner like Ahab, if God could save Ahab, I think he can save us. This is sort of, this is sort of amazing. When my old father discovered this truth, he said, it isn't right. <laughs> he said, it isn't right, it isn't right. But I said to my father, God's grace is greater than all of our sins. And there's a text. There's a text. I want to read it to you. We've got to read it over and over and over again. Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. Romans, the greatest book in the New Testament as far as the gospel is concerned and righteousness through faith. Romans chapter 5 and verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Why does the law exist? The law exists so that I will see myself as a stinking sinner, deserving of the wrath of Almighty God. The law of God cannot save me. The law of God comes to me with a whip, and the whip has got ten parts to it, and each one is freighted with eternity. The Ten Commandments. The law of God does not save. The law of God shows that I am undeserving. And I'm on my way to hell. So the Bible says, Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's almost too hard to believe. Where sin did abound, put it up, here it is. Where sin did abound, where sin did abound, 
where the sin of Ahab did abound, the grace of God did abound much more. When I was a boy, just a little boy, I went to the Brisbane Town Hall in Queensland. I was about four or five years of age. I'll never forget it. It was after the Second World War and uh, the Australians had invited out an American preacher. His name was Clifford Reeves. After all those years, I can still see he wore a white suit <laughs> and he was a good preacher. And uh, when you go inside the Brisbane Town Hall, there is a tremendous pipe organ that goes up to the ceiling. It's a beautiful, wonderful place. And in front of the, the great pipes, and I've stood under those pipes and listened to the boom of those tremendous pipes, listened to the rush of the wind. And there was a choir that was singing. It was a big choir. It seemed to be hundreds in my boy's mind. And they were singing this song. It has stayed with me all these years. Sing it o'er and o'er again. Still hear the choir singing. Sing it o'er and o'er again. I can still hear the choir. Sing it o'er and o'er again. Christ receives the sinful men. Make the message clear and plain. Christ receives the sinful men. So Paul says, where sin did abound, Grace did much more about. If I'm talking to somebody out here in the television world and you say, you've got no idea what I've done. No, I don't. You may say, I have no chance of being saved. No, you don't. Except for the grace of God. And the Bible says, the grace of God when received by faith is greater than all my sin. Grace has an immeasurable and limitless source. It is the love of God. Grace does not send love. Love sends grace. I'm sure you know this. I, you know this wonderful hymn and poem, but I, I want to try to break it up and explain it in case you've missed some points. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. You can't write an out about it enough it goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell the guilty pair who are they Adam and Eve bowed down with care God gave his son to win his erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin now I believe that Adam and Eve are going to be in the kingdom of God because God himself killed those animals, carried out a sacrifice and covered their nakedness with the skins of animals, which is a symbol of the blood of Christ. And once you're under the blood of Christ, nothing can touch you, nothing can harm you. So the guilty pair. Then the next verse says, could we with ink the ocean fill? Think about this, the ocean, seven or eight miles deep. Fill it up with ink. Were the skies of parchment made? The skies, we turn all the skies into paper. Where every stalk on earth a quill. You know what a quill is, don't you? Old English word for pen. Every stalk, every blade of grass is going to be transformed into a pen. And every man 
ascribed by trade. Every person on the earth has got a quill. He's got the pen. And every person on the earth, his trade is to, is to write. And the ocean has been turned into ink. And the sky has been turned into paper. Look at the words. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. <laughs> not enough ink, not enough paper, not enough pens. There's a person I admire immensely. That is Sir Ernest Shackleton, British explorer with Irish roots like me. He went down to the Antarctic. He took a ship that was called the Endurance. And the ice got around the Endurance and crushed it. So they had to get out on the ice floe and then get on this little 20-foot boat. And they sailed with great skill to Elephant Island. And then Shackleton left them there. And with a couple of other men, they sailed to South Georgia Island. Then they climbed, would you believe it, they climbed over a mountain. They climbed over a mountain for days. And they came down upon a whaling station and they got a rescue party and Shackleton went back for his men who were freezing and dying on Elephant Island. And when he appeared, his men said, we knew you would come, brother. So God leaves glory and he comes to this earth, dies on the cross. And when we look at him, we say, we knew you would come, brother. That is grace. More very soon. Hello, friend. I'm John Carter. Behind me is the great city of Manila, the capital of the Philippines. Did you know, this is quite amazing, there are more people living in this area than in New York City, and Christ died for these people. We came here, oh, a long time ago, back in 1984. What's that, 34, 35 years ago? And we came here with a team of young people and we came to the PICC. It is our intent to come here, hire the biggest hall that's available, the greatest outdoor stadium, whatever it takes. You've got more than 20 million souls out here. And I say it again, these are people for whom Christ died. I'm asking you to pray for the people of the Philippines. Please pray for the people here in Metro Manila. And please write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. In Australia, write to me at Terrigal at the address that is now showing on the screen. We're back in Manila, and we're back with a message from God. That message is, Christ died for you. And Christ is coming again soon. Please support us. Write to me today, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 
and also write to me at Terrigal in Australia. Thank you for your support and God bless you. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.